listening to audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit twinvillageschurch.org. Um, last week we finished off um, chapter 5. I mean, it was the beginning of a, a long uh, warning passage, and the warning passage is about ap- apostasy and falling away um, from the faith, and we talked specifically about spiritual laziness um, and the concern that the author had for his people um, for that, and it's not about how quick you're growing, it's, it's about just a lack of growth and being spiritually dull, and there was a failure to kind of grow and maintain and apply God's word. There was a lack of gospel skill that the people were exhibiting. And uh, we, we came to the conclusion that spiritual maturity is to be desired, and we need to take God's word seriously. We need to listen to God's word with all that we have. We need to be focused and attentive. Uh, we need to be fully acquainted with the gospel, and we need to be looking for ways to constantly apply God's word to, to every facet of our life. And so now this morning, we come to what is perhaps one of the uh, most troubling warning passages um, in Hebrews for sure, but potentially uh, in the Bible. And so as we wander into this this morning and spend some time here, I want to encourage you uh, to put aside any uh, maybe presuppositions that you may have. And what I mean by that is that if, if you believe that God's sovereign grace is uh, more dominant than human freedom, um, I think maybe your convictions will be challenged and pushed. Um, if you're someone who's, if you're here this morning and you believe that uh, in, in choice, being a decisive factor in salvation, I believe you will find those convictions challenged. We need to enter into this with an open mind. And so as I was preparing this this week, I needed to try to enter into this with an open mind. Because what this text is going to tell us is that a decision a person can make to turn their back on Jesus and all that he has to offer can never be reversed. And that's hard. So let me read uh, this morning, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Um, then we will spend some time in God's word this morning. The author of Hebrews writes these words, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God's, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgments. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. 
Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your words. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you have given us your words, that you have given us instruction, that you continue to speak to us um, this day. Lord, and I can thank you for passages like Hebrews 6. Passages that are difficult. Passages that are loaded with warning. Lord, I pray that you would give me uh, clarity this morning. Lord, that I would handle your words accurately. Lord, and I know that it is only possible through your grace and through your spirits. So Lord, I pray for that this ends. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, that we would maybe be challenged and maybe be encouraged. Lord, but that we would feel the weight of the warning. Lord, and we would feel the reality of this life on this earth. Lord, but ultimately, as your children, that we would rest in you. That we would rest in your gospel. That we would rest in your loving hands. Lord, we are thankful that your, you give grace upon grace and that your mercies are new every morning. Lord, but help us to not be a lazy people this morning as we listen and as we hear your words. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. So we want to start, we'll do the first three verses and then we'll do four through eight. And so the first three aren't nearly as difficult as four through eight, Right? But in the, verse, in the first three verses, what the author of Hebrews is telling this, his people and telling the, the hearers of this letter, the readers of this letter, is that foundations are good and foundations are necessary. You need to have a foundation, but once that foundation has been laid down, there is no need to keep laying it down again. Unless the foundation is bad. But I think he's made it abundantly clear up to this point that if you lay your foundation in Christ, you have the surest foundation imaginable. Your foundation is supreme and preeminent over any other foundation you could ever possibly put down. And so the foundation, the things that he lists, um, these six things that he lists are the foundations or the foundational elements of the Christian faith. And he's saying you, you must move beyond those or you must build upon those would probably be a better way of saying it this morning. Now that does not mean that it, it comes to a point where they're not important, that they're, they're not needed anymore in your Christian life and they can be forgotten. But it means that by the grace of God, we must build upon that foundation. And that foundation is, first of all, a repentance from dead works and of faith toward God's. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. By grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God's, not a result of works, so that no man or no one may boast. Right, there is a reality here that we need to move beyond repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Your works do not save you. 
And now Judaism, he's writing to Jewish believers, and in the Jewish faith, right, it was a works-based faith. You need to keep the Old Testament law and all that becomes with that. Repentance from sin is evidence of a genuine saving faith that is, is important. But what he's telling his readers and what we need to take from this is that we need to abandon all these attempts for self-righteousness. Right? It is Jesus and him alone that establishes our righteousness through his perfect sinless life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. Right? It's foundational, but we need to build upon that truth. He moves on to instructions about washing and the laying on of hands. And these people must leave uh, behind the, their confidence that they had in their, their ritualistic practices. The ceremonial washings, the cleansing laws. Right, and Jesus dealt with this in his ministry in Mark chapter 7. Right? He, the Pharisees are grumping and complaining because Jesus' disciples weren't washing. They were eating with defiled hands. Right? So Jesus has to confront them on that. And the author of Hebrews is saying, you need, to, you need to move beyond those things and build upon those things. The laying on of hands and all that's entailed there with blessings and healings and commissionings and receiving the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. And the way that laying on of hands was so prominent in that culture. You need to move beyond those things and build upon those things. Because the reality is that Jesus is your great high priest. And he's given you all the righteousness that you need. And so you don't need to worry about instructions on washings and laying on of hands. It's Jesus. It's not Jesus plus. Build upon And then the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgments. Right? Resurrection is for final judgment. Right? We will all stand before God and have to give an account. Right? And with that is eternal consequences. Right? And unless Christ stands as your advocate, unless Christ stands as your substitute... Right? Your eternal judgment will be separation from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. And that reality shouldn't be far from our minds. When we take communion together, which we'll do later on this morning, right? we remember the gospel, but we celebrate the gospel. Because of the gospel, we have eternity with Christ. Right? But there are those who will not have that same experience. And so that reality should be in front of us and should be on our minds. It should never be far from our minds, but that we, we need to build upon that. Right? That, that should change the way that we live. That should fuel our evangelism. That should help us when we come to, to dealing with one another. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, the, the, these are good things. You need to have these things in mind, but you need to build upon them. We want to see you progressing in your faith. Because where there is life, there is growth. Right? And so in a sense, the people bear responsibility for their growth. Like we bear responsibility for our growth. We talked last week about putting ourselves in positions to grow. 
and taking advantage of opportunities to, to grow. And it starts with each and every one of us personally. Like, are you spending time in God's words? Are you spending time in prayer? Right? There's spiritual disciplines that we all must work on and all must seek to, to grow and, and move and progress in. But then as a church, right, we need to offer opportunities for us to grow. And I say us to grow because I need to grow as much as you need to grow. And so we must grow in Christ. So we can gather here on Sunday morning and we can hear God's word preached. You can join the GGC. Your children can attend Rooted and Thrive. We have foundations classes. And we have children's note sheets in the back. We put resources out on the table because we want to give us as a church opportunity to, to grow. We're starting something soon, if I get my act together, called the Sermon Application Team. And what that's going to involve is, is, is inviting people to join me once a week right, to reflect on the sermon that was preached and then to think through the text that's going to be preached the coming Sunday. And so if you, if you join me there, right, you're going to have to sit down with me and critique my sermon something that you liked about it and something you weren't too, you didn't like about it or you were confused about. Now, you need to, the negative thing is very important, by the way, so you can't, you can't skirt through that one. Right, but then it gives you an opportunity to sit and think about, okay, here's the text that he's going to be preaching and you're going to help kind of think through that and it's almost like a brainstorming session, but what that does is, right, that helps you, right, engage with the sermon and engage with what's going to be preached, but it helps me hear where I can preach and teach better. It's an opportunity to grow. Right, so we, we, we want to do these things. We need to be a church that does these things. We need to be a people that has a desire to grow and to, to progress in our faith. But we can't miss verse 3. And this we will do if God permits. Although we have responsibility, any growth that happens, any growth that we see in our life is the result of God's grace. Right? We must understand the foundations of our faith, but we must also move beyond them. Right? We must be willing to be challenged and pushed we must be willing to have our assumptions, our presuppositions challenged. It takes humility. It takes a teachable spirit. It takes coming alongside those who may be younger in the faith, right, and learning from them. You heard me right, learning from them. It takes coming alongside those who may be more mature in the faith and learning from them. We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak. We have an open heart and open an open heart and open mind to hear God's words and to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in our hearts. Right? Because it is the Holy Spirit that indwells inside of us, that opens up our heart and our minds to understand and to grow. And this we will do if God permits. So here's some encouragement. 
And if you see any evidence of growth in your life, any, even something that you may think is really maybe small and insignificant, right, anything, understand that that is evidence of God working in your life to grow you. Praise God. Right? We go through these seasons where we just seem to be growing by leaps and bounds, and it's easy to be excited about that. But there are also seasons when we maybe think that we're growing at a slower pace, and we get frustrated and discouraged. I want to encourage you, don't get frustrated and discouraged. Keep learning and keep pushing yourself, because God is at work in your life. Praise God. And so on the heels of those words, we now get to the most challenging warning passage in the Bible, I believe. Much ink has been spilled. There have been many interpretations. And within those interpretations, many different like nuances. Part of it is because the, the language that the author uses is, is kind of ambiguous, and I think there's a reason for that, and that kind of heightens the warning that he's going to give his readers. I want to encourage you that if you're interested and intrigued by this, to, to study it further. I'm not going to try to unpack for you all the different theories of interpretation and who says what and why they say this. Okay, I want to focus this morning on what I believe to be a sound interpretation of the passage. That's how I said it's a sound, not the sound. Right? There's a reason why. Right? It gives you a tremendous opportunity to have roast pasta for lunch today. Right? The ambiguity in this text heightens the warning. It challenges the bold, it maybe challenges the overconfidence in their walk and where they are in their spiritual journey. But it may also alarm and unsettle some of the more sensitive. So I want to encourage you to, to listen. And I want to encourage you to be, to be challenged this morning to, to hear what the author has to say, what God has to say. And here is, I'll read verses four through eight. I'll read, actually, I'll read verses four through six. For it is impossible in the case of those who have been enlightened, once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. The first thing we need to, to unpack here is the fact that in the Greek text, impossible is the first word of that sentence. It's there for emphasis. It's there to grab the attention of those hearing this letter read. Something is impossible. Something is not capable of happening. 
Now, the author of Hebrews uses the word impossible three other times in this, in this letter. A few verses later, in chapter 6, verse 18, he says it's impossible for God to lie. In chapter 10, verse 4, he tells the people that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And in chapter 11, verse 6, he's going to tell them that it's without faith it is impossible to please God. So it's not that it's just difficult. It's not that it's just challenging. It's not that it's maybe perplexing. The author is saying, no, it's impossible. That heightens the tension. It's not a whole lot of wiggle room. But the author has a very specific person in mind. It's a person who was once previously enlightened, a person who's tasted the heavenly gift, a person who's shared in the Holy Spirit, a person who's tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and has tasted the powers of the age to come. So at one point in this person's life, the light of the gospel shone into their dark, rebellious hearts. They heard it. And maybe they responded to it. It's probably but more on an intellectual level. They were mentally aware of the gospel. But in this, there, there's no indication as to whether they accepted it or rejected it, whether they believed it or didn't believe it. But they were enlightened. They have heard the gospel proclaimed to them. This person has tasted the heavenly gifts. And they, they, they sampled it. They didn't chew on it. They just kind of sampled it. They didn't feast on it. They, they, they got a, a taste of like the, the, the blessings of salvation. This person shared in the Holy Spirit. They were, they were present when they saw the Holy Spirit at work. It's kind of this, this public activity. They, they could see maybe people's lives being changed and people, people growing. They could see evidence of God's Spirit working. Now, it wasn't indwelling in them. They were experienced. They shared. They could see it. They experienced it. This person had tasted the goodness of the word of God. They were hearing God's word being taught. They were learning about God and who he is. And, and, and they, were, they were listening to it. Kind of like Herod uh, in Mark chapter 6 with John the Baptist. Right? Herod liked to hear John the Baptist. He was curious and, and, and intrigued by what John the Baptist had to say. There's no evidence that actually transformed his life. But like he liked it. He was kind of drawn to it. Like, this is interesting. It's Paul when he taught at the Areopagus. Right? He's he talking about strange, unusual things, and they were intrigued by it. Same kind of idea. They had tasted the goodness of the word of God. And they had tasted the powers of the age to come. Right? The, 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 this, this future 
kingdom of God and, and, and the power that the, the, the kingdom of God indeed has. And, and there are those that believe that maybe these, some of these people had actually seen miracles that were done by the apostles. Right? They, but they had seen and they had experienced all of these things, these five things. Now, all five of these experiences could be true of genuine Christians. Right? But the problem is, right, when we start thinking through some of this, Right, is that, well, later on he's going to tell them that they, they, they fall away and, and it's, it's impossible to restore them again to, to repentance and they're crucifying Christ to their own harm and they're holding him up to contempt. But we know, right, as believers, genuine believers, right, that our salvation is secure. Right? The Bible teaches us in, in, in many, many places. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You're secure. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. You are secure if you are in Christ. If your faith is genuine, you are secure. Jesus, in John chapter 10, verses 27 to 28, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. So the author of Hebrews is talking about these five experiences that are true for genuine believers but now he's saying, you know, I know what? They can also be true for those who are not genuinely saved, who have not experienced saving faith. A person can be instructed in the basics of the faith. A person can, can hear the gospel a person can hear the word of God and see the work of the Holy Spirit. A person can even be convicted of sin. A person can experience the blessings of God. A person can actually repent and, and, and confess sin, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're saved. A person can get a glimpse of the, of the beauty and the power of the gospel and the love of a Christian community and, to, can be, and can participate in that. And they can know all that Christ has to offer and they can still not genuinely be saved. In fact, they will reject him or they will fall away. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23 Jesus says these words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that last day, many will come, will, many will say to me, 
Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so I believe the warning is that there are people who can have these experiences and they can look like they're genuine believers, but they are not. Participation does not equal salvation. Just because someone is in your midst, just because someone attends TVC, just because someone was, a, was in that faith community that this author is writing to, does not mean that they are genuine believers. And so you, you, you hear the weight of, of the warning to those people that he's writing to. Where are you? You can look great on the outside. You can claim all these experiences. But where are you? You can experience the beauty and the power of the gospel. You can know what Christ offers. You can still reject him and fall away. You can still choose the world over Christ. And when you do that, you pour contempt on him. When you do that, you're saying that, yeah, I understand who Jesus is, but the world is better. Jesus isn't all cracked up like like he thinks he is. The world is better for me. The world has more to offer to me than Christ, and so I choose him. I've experienced these things. I've heard these things. I choose the world over Christ. And when you do that, you crucify him all over again. You're aligning yourself with those who rejected him, who rejected his word, who rejected his teaching. And for those people who willfully walk away from Christ, God, who sovereignly grants repentance to rebellious, sinful people, will not intervene as he could because they have willfully walked away. This person has identified himself with those who crucified Christ and treated him with contempt and mocked and ridiculed him. And it, 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 it's, it's reminiscent of, of Romans chapter 1. Where they fail to recognize God for who he is, even though he's shown them, it's plain to them. And they pursue other things, and God turns them over to a debased mind. They become futile in their thinking. It's a sobering opening to the book of Romans. But the point is, you can get, you can pursue other things than God to the point, and other things than Christ to a point where God just says, okay, you want to know what? There you go. And it's part of his judgment against sin. And so those who 
fall away by willfully rejecting Christ or under the judgment of, of God. I want to pause here and, and say something. Right? God does not reject genuine repentance. Right? God does not reject genuine repentance. Right? If you're here this morning, and, and some make this connection to the, the unpardonable sin, right? and so if you're here this morning, and, you, and you're sweating it out a little bit, you think, like, maybe, have I done this? Have I done, like, is this me? Right? The fact that you're, you're having that conversation, maybe in your heart or in your mind, is evidence of the Spirit at work in your life. Praise God. Now, the author of Hebrews, and I need to, and I need to tip my hand, so to speak, a little bit. I'm actually going to tip the author of Hebrews' hand. Okay, so I need to read, sorry, Jeff, I need to read Hebrews chapter 6, verse 9. Right, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. Okay? But don't miss the weight of the warning that the author of Hebrews is putting out. Right? He's not accusing his hearers of having passed from a spiritual point of no return. Right? But he's warning them, hey, you need to do work. You need to be looking at your life and you need to be evaluating your hearts. Because there's not any one of you who's potentially not in danger of willfully walking away or falling away from Christ and denying him and, and turning your back to him. So there's a sobering reality that they must wrestle with. That a person can participate in church, they can be part of a Christian community, they can experience all these things and all the blessings of what that holds. But that doesn't mean that they're saved. Their hearts can still be hardened against Christ. Right? Participation doesn't equal salvation. And think about the, the Exodus generation. Right? These people that all that they experienced, and the other heroes already kind of unpacked them for us. Right? All that they experienced, right? Passover, the plagues, Passover, crossing the Red Sea, manna, quail, water from a rock, all these ways that God blessed them and was part of their lives. And they get to the edge of the promised land, and what do they do? They're hard-hearted, and they're in their unbelief. And God says, this generation will not enter the promised land. You can experience all these things and not be there. And so the danger is real. And those addressed need to look at their hearts. Right? And if we all go back all the way to chapter 5, verse 11, what's he been saying, right? You should be growing. You should be persevering. You should be growing. You should be persevering. You should be growing. You should be persevering. 
Don't be spiritually lazy. Don't think that you have arrived. You can say all the right things. Maybe you can do the right things. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, your great high priest, you never did. sobering warning. And he gives them a little illustration of what this looks like. It's an it's a agricultural illustration in verses 7 through 8. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Right, and this, this helps us think through right, what it means to, 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 to grow, what it means to, to mature. Right? It's not just external blessings and external experiences. It's what's happening in your hearts. The word cultivated is key in this analogy. It makes you, it makes you think back, I hope, to the, to the parable of the sower, right, where this, the seed is sown and, and some people are unresponsive to it. Others hear it and are interested in it, but they, but they fall away because of persecution or because of the world and distractions of the world. But then there are some who, who endure and who are fruitful, And so this, this life-giving rain, right, of God's grace falls on people. The gospel message is heard. The gospel seed is planted. Now some ground is cultivated. It's plowed. It's prepared. There's an there's a idea of, of wanting growth and wanting to mature. And the crop that, is, that grows there is, is useful. Are, are you preparing your hearts? Are, are you doing that work? Are you taking responsibility for your growth, knowing that if God permits, it'll happen, but are you doing that work? There are others where that same gospel seed is planted, but it's on ground that is uncultivated. And it bears thorns and thistles. It's, it's, it's worthless. It's the same ground, same water, same gospel message. But there's a lack of preparation. And so the author of Hebrews is telling his people, right, you, you, you understand. You need to, to borrow words from Paul, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You must not get lazy. You must not get spiritually dull. You must do the work, knowing that any growth that you see is but from the grace of God and the power of his spirit working in you. Pursue growth. Don't get lazy, because there are people in your midst who look 
like they know what's going on, like they look like their lives are all together, but they are not. They are going to turn away and fall away from God, and they're going to reject him and crucify Christ and open him up to contempt and public shame. Where are you? Where is your heart? What's happening in your life? So there's a call for personal, spiritual heart evaluation. Right? It's easy to sit around and look at me like, oh, well, geez, that's external, that's external. Eh, maybe. Right? That's not what the author of Hebrews is saying. The author of Hebrews is saying, no, why don't you turn and evaluate your own hearts? Where are you? You bear responsibility for you. Examine your heart. Make your hope sure. As a church, right, we're, to, we're, to, we're to love, we're to, we're to grow in Christ, and we're to, to love like Christ. Right? And, and, and we, we can't miss that, that, that loving like Christ, and that's our, that's our one anothering that we have to do as a church body. Right? And as we look at our own hearts, we look at our own lives, and say, where am I? We need to also be paying attention to, to others and coming alongside and encouraging other people in this. Like, do this work. Do this work. Jeez, I'm, really, I'm just really not growing. I just feel like I'm, I'm stuck and I'm staying. I'm making like these little baby steps and it's so frustrating. Praise God, you're growing. The Spirit's working in your life. Let's celebrate those things. Right? We need one another. So it's not just an external exercise, it's internal. It's where your heart is. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, church, there are those who are going to be able to play the part and look the part and act the part. They may not be genuine. Don't assume that they are genuine. Don't assume that you are genuine. John Piper and his message on this text that I listened to this week gives a very sobering end to his sermon. And I won't dare duplicate it, but if you want to listen to it, listen to it. And his point is, and at the end, he unpacks his life and says, if I do these things, and he had been a believer for 40 years, I believe something along those lines, whenever he preached this text... He said, if I turn away from Christ, I was never in Christ. It was all a game. Now, evaluate your heart. Do that work. Plead with God if you need to plead with God. Thank him for the growth that you see. But do not get lazy. The warning is real and the warning is sobering. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you again for the opportunity to be in your words. Lord, your word is truth. It's your word that sanctifies us in that truth. Lord, the author of Hebrews has already told us that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged swords. And it cuts 
and it can hurt. But it brings healing as well. The prophet Isaiah tells us that your word does not return void, that it does exactly what you set it out to do, it accomplishes exactly what you set it out to do. And so, Lord, I thank you for your words. Lord, I thank you for passages like Hebrews 6, especially verses 4 through 6. And it's, those, it's those warnings, Lord, that I pray would, would shake me from complacency, that would shake me from dullness and laziness, Lord, that would shake others from dullness and laziness. Lord, but as your children, we know that our salvation is secure. But that doesn't mean we put our feet up and we get lazy. Lord, help us to see the growth in our lives. Help us to give you praise for the growth that we see in our lives. Lord, but help us to be a people who is radically committed to, to our hearts and dealing with the sin and things that are in our hearts. That we would extol the beauties of your words and of your gospel. And that we would be radically concerned about our own hearts and that we would be genuinely concerned for one another as well. And I pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Twin Villages Church in Damariscotta, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others. And for more information about Twin Villages Church, visit TwinVillagesChurch.org. Soli Deo Gloria.